I was sitting and I was thinking today, why was this degree so transformative for myself and my life? Just by me graduating, being the first in my family, it can really change other people's worlds. Going to college is a transformational experience. And yet, many students find themselves isolated and many people in the field of higher education wants to know why. Post-secondary education and training has become the capstone uh, in an education system that is a primary cause now of the reproduction of race and class privilege in America. It's basically a system made for people who can afford it. I'm Sally Glickman, co-founder of The Graduate Network and host of our podcast, Moved by Degrees. In season one, The Comebacker's Odyssey, you will hear about the journeys of the three extraordinary adults who opened our show, Craig Toombs, Eva Gamez, and Kimberly Lowe-Sawyer. They were followed by Dr. Anthony Carnevale, who will be back with us later in the program. This episode focuses on Craig's Odyssey, so let's meet our star. Well, my name is Craig Madison Toombs, Jr., I live in Kansas City, Missouri. I am 36 years old and I graduated in 2019 uh, with my bachelor's degree in political science. I could stand on my grandpa's porch and I literally could see K-State. And even though I could see the university from my grandfather's front porch, college felt as far away as the stars, moon and quasars. College felt like it was something for rich people or white people. It didn't feel like it was something for me. And most people that I know, what you're born in, you die in. Um, And that's pretty much how it happens. And I felt as if I was like watching my dreams in 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 a glass exhibit and I could do everything but touch them. But this degree and this opportunity broke down the most significant invisible barrier that that I've ever encountered. Craig's journey to a college degree is an inspiring one. As you will soon learn, he traversed what, for the majority of college degree holders, are unimaginable obstacles to reach his goal. The first hurdle he overcame was shedding the belief that college was not a place he belonged. So as I was sitting and I was thinking today um, about my life, and I began to think as to why, you know, why was this degree so transformative for myself and my life. And one of the things that popped into my head was that um, most people in this country that are born into horrible conditions that I know usually die in those same conditions. For a demographic and a sector of people, uh, their lives in many ways are mapped out before um, their existence begins in the physical flesh even. from what one's parents and and their life trajectory comes from. Craig is, sadly, absolutely correct, according to data accumulated and analyzed over decades by Dr. Anthony Carnevale. Nearly 25 years ago, he introduced me to evidence of how college graduation rates correlated to family income, work that deeply influenced my own career path. Today, he leads Georgetown University Center on Education and the Workforce and has published extensively on just this topic. The evidence is pretty plain. When we track student test scores beginning in K-12 education in grade school, a child from a family in the top quartile 
of family income, an affluent kid from an affluent family who has low test scores in the bottom half of the test score distribution, has more than a 70% chance of graduating from college and getting a good job by their late 20s. However, at the same time, a child from a low-income family, the bottom family income quartile, with top test scores, has only a 31% chance of graduating from college and getting a good job by their late 20s. So, and the numbers are even worse for talented low-income minorities. Uh, what this tells you is that it's a lot better to be rich uh, and white in America than it is to be smart in America. And that's absolutely the case. I was raised by a single mother. I'm not ashamed to admit my mom battled with uh, drug addiction for 18 years. And so my mom uh, graduated high school, but she didn't have a college education. My mom, due to her drug addiction, she was she was absent a lot of the time. And so we my sisters and I, we would be at home for. Uh, no lie, I'm being honest, we would be at home for sometimes three days without seeing our mom when I was like 15 years old, I um, ended up getting into some trouble. I would go and live with relatives and then I would do something that they didn't approve of. And I ended up um, being in this foster home. I was really, I, I can say I was really lost, man. I, I, I was very lost and I started selling drugs. And due to me doing that, I started having a gun and I got in trouble for uh, having a firearm. And I actually ended up going to a, a juvenile correctional facility. Craig spent 21 months in incarceration. During this time, he earned his high school diploma. This accomplishment was significant, but it was what he did next that started him on the path to his present. They had uh, jobs in there that you can do. If you graduated from school, you can get like a job if you're like doing well. And one of them was making airplane pillows for people. And they, yeah, I didn't even know people had airplane pillows or these little pillows that people get on planes and request. Uh, I, I'd flown on a plane one time prior to that and I didn't request a pillow. So I knew nothing of these things. Um, this job making airplane pillows, you got paid a dollar an hour. And then they would give like quarterly bonuses that were like three hundred, four hundred dollars to us in there. It's like a lot of money. Like people were talking about how they were going to buy because they're young and, you know, like oh, I'm about to save my money and buy a car when I get out. I'm a, a lot of people were talking about how they were going to go back to the drug game. I got out of there without a dime because I spent all my money. They partnered with a college called Highland University. And I they said you could take college classes, but you couldn't qualify for any fast for anything like that. So you have to pay for them yourself. And I paid for my first year of college all on my own with cash, making airplane pillows for people. Weeks before his release date, something happened that once again changed the course of Craig's life. His mother, who he had expected to return to live with in Manhattan, Kansas, was herself incarcerated. Craig reflects on hearing the news that he would be on his own. It was, I would say it was a huge disappointment, but everything happens for a reason, because if I would have gone back to Manhattan, Kansas, I, I definitely wouldn't have been able to become the man that I am today. I can say that for a fact. Out of my grandmother's grandchildren, the oldest male, he's incarcerated for 24 years in prison. The second oldest male, he was incarcerated. These guys have been in and out of incarceration throughout the whole duration of their lives. Um, and, you know, 
the easiest thing in life to do is to do what you know. Um, and I think that's probably why in many ways um, I feel fortunate that like it's kind of saved my life. Craig was released on June 11th, 2003. He was 19 years old. I moved to Kansas City and I was in a um, program actually called uh, Ozanine Pathways. And it's an independent uh, transitional living program. At the time, they said I was the first person to successfully complete it. I went and met my case manager. And at the time, I had a probation officer. Shout out to Kevin Page. He looked out for me. They gave me a... um, $120 allowance for groceries. And there was an Apple market on Broadway at the time. And um, they took me there and let me pick out some groceries, gave me my keys to my apartment, dropped me off at my apartment. And we're like, all right, we'll come check on you at 11 o'clock at night. And they left. And for a person that (laughs) for a person that is not, we'll just say is not used to very much freedoms, that was like almost freedom overload. But for myself, I, I felt I'm not going to lie. I'll be honest. I felt I felt scared. Um, I felt scared because I was up here and I was I was alone. The easy thing for me to do um, when I was released would have been to go back to selling drugs. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to do that. And I'll be honest, there were times that it was it was close to me going back to that. Fortunately, Craig had alternatives to that life. A social worker who had worked with him while he was incarcerated helped him connect to a restaurant job in Kansas City, and his work life commenced. By the time he was 25, Craig had built a life with a partner with whom he had two children. They eventually purchased a home. He enrolled at University of Missouri-Kansas City to complete his degree. And he began informally to mentor youth, which became his calling. In 2010, Craig and his partner separated. For the first time since his boys were born, he was not with them on a daily basis. He got an apartment nearby and months passed, which is where Craig picks up his story. And I enrolled in school and uh, I was nine credits away from attaining my political science degree. And uh, my uh, mom passed away. It was it was debilitatingly crushing for me. It was like my whole family dichotomy came crashing down with uh, with the death of one person. My mom moved up here because I told her when I graduated, I was going to buy a home that had a room for her and that she could spend her days doing whatever it was that she enjoyed. Um, after my mom passed, I really didn't know, to be honest, how to move forward. I think about identities and so much of who we are is what we identify with. I identified as a son, I identified as a student, and I identified as a father. And in one sweep of an instance, I felt as if almost all those things were taken away from me. And I just remember feeling like just so broken inside. I felt like I probably would never have another sense of fulfillment again. And I remember I enrolled in school and, uh, I went for two weeks and I just I just stopped. I I, I shut down and I, I tell people if I could have, I would have locked myself in a physical closet and and not come out. I went to the school and contacted them and I spoke with my academic advisor and my counselor. And I was in bad shape and I expressed to them what happened. And 
their advice to me was, you just need to continue and you got to finish. I didn't know that there were, at the time, six free counseling sessions that the school offered. Like, I was literally on the brink of death. And what they told me was, you you just need to keep on. And me, coming from the environment I come from, that's all I know is to keep going. And so I did. And I was so ashamed and embarrassed when... I was so ashamed and embarrassed when I couldn't continue. And I look back now and I'm like, man, like, you were so ashamed and embarrassed of being ashamed and embarrassed that you couldn't even admit that. So I felt like I had just crashed and burned like my whole future. Once again, Craig reimagined his future. After working at the local Boys and Girls Club, he transitioned to a school-based job. Craig's gift for mentoring young people was noticed and eventually led to a paraprofessional role working with special education students. Craig's work life was advancing, though his lack of a degree prevented him from competing for professional positions in education. I had like beat my head against the ground, like searching for ways to enable myself to go back and attain my degree. I reapplied for FAFSA and found out that I had exhausted most of my funds. It wasn't enough to pay for my final year of school. Another thing is that I owed the university um, an outstanding balance of $1,585. I was able to write an appeal to the school to advocate for myself to have um, the final semester when I dropped out removed, but they uh, the time had elapsed for um, the financial incurrence to be reversed. So I still literally had to pay for those classes, but it didn't count against me academically. This is when Craig found himself connected to KC Degrees, which provides institution-independent college navigation services for adults and, at the time, also administered KC Scholars, a highly competitive program that awards a limited number of scholarships to adults each year to complete their degrees. When I sat down with Craig, and I think I told him this, um, it was like looking in a mirror. I saw myself as Craig some 20, 30-some years ago. This is Cedric Dedman. He manages KC Degrees. And when he kind of told me his story, my mind the entire time was thinking about, well, I know I can help him get access to this, and I know that I can help him get access to that. We want to provide good care to the people that we serve. And that means that it's not just about the numbers. It's not just about getting them back into college, but it's about making sure that every aspect of their life that has the potential to affect them negatively is addressed. And we got to always understand that the person that's sitting across the table from us or that's sitting next to us is experiencing barriers We have students that are dealing with homelessness, that are dealing with mental health issues, that are dealing with financial issues, food insecurity, uh, dealing with issues around family support systems. And so we really have a a moral obligation to do the right thing as it relates to bringing people back, but not just bringing them back, but lifting them up and walking alongside them as they go down this journey of completing that college degree. 
And I'm I'm forever grateful for Cedric, man. That that that, that man moved mountains for me. I was at the door. Cedric was the key. No lie, man. Cedric was the key uh, that enabled me to turn that lock and open that door, man. When I called Cedric, it's like, all right, I got a thousand dollars. I'm just going to say this as a black man. You don't just get people walking up to you trying to help you, um, trying to provide you assistance that's going to uh, substantially improve your life. Um, and I'm not going to lie, man. The whole time I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, what are they getting out of this? Like, what's 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 the deal? And, you know, what I've come to in my mind, think what they're getting out of it is um, what's better for one and what's good for one is good for all as a collective. If I could put it in one sentence, it would be each one teach one. And I ain't gonna lie. I cried when uh, Cedric did what he did for me, man. He went above and beyond, above and beyond, because that's not that's not what he was supposed to do. Um, but, man, uh I'm not having any more kids, but if I did, I might name one Cedric. (laughs) In recent years, the issue of past debt and its effect on eventual degree completion has become more visible in states across the country. Debts of this nature prevent individuals from accessing their entire transcript, not just the classes or semester for which the back balance is owed, and effectively blocks them from re-enrollment. More than half of U.S. states have laws related to debt collection for public institutions, including Missouri. Had Craig chosen to re-enroll in 2020, he might have been eligible for Missouri's new Finish Line program, which provides up to $3,000 grants to clear back balances. But in 2018, this program was still two years away. I've heard this from many top-notch educators saying, well, we now have access for everybody. And, and I said, uh, from your perspective, yes. But we haven't done a very good job of letting people know that we do from their perspective. This is Dr. Aaron Thompson, president of the Kentucky Council on Postsecondary Education. It's important that we understand that higher education is the most direct correlation to a good economy, but also to a healthy society. We got to make it truly on a critical mass. And it's not just those that can participate in the economy in a positive way. It's about those that we stop from participating in a negative way. And we've got to understand what we're talking about is even bigger than just focusing on one population group. It's bigger than that. It's a part of the completeness of how we have to look at what we do, not just in higher education, but as a society. Arguably, education is the big gear wheel now uh, in the inequality machine. Georgetown's Tony Carnavale. So I think the the basic change is that more and more we all see um, the education system and the labor market as all one system. In the old days, we all were part of the different pieces, right? You were a workforce person, you're a higher education person, a two-year college person, a K-12 person. Um, nowadays, the way policymakers see it, they really do see it as all one system. It's the connecting the dots that I think uh, really is what the future is about. And more and more people get that. 
I mean, the good news in that is there's something we can do about it because it's an institution. It's not about changing people's motives and how they feel about each other. It's about an institution and we can change institutions. While higher education is transforming, due in no small part to leaders and advocates like Dr. Thompson and Dr. Carnavale, there is much more work to be done, which is why, at least for more economically vulnerable and first-generation students, Earning a degree truly is an odyssey. The wonderful news here is that Craig graduated and has leveraged his degree to turn his passion for mentoring youth into a career. Currently, he is serving as a student support coordinator, which he describes as his dream job. This was the first time that I applied for jobs and I didn't accept the first job that I was offered. I had three job offers and those were all done on the work of me doing my resume, me sitting down, strategically planning out what what I wanted to apply for, putting in the work, going to the interviews. But none of that would have been possible without me attaining my degree. This was the first time I felt like I was empowered to be able to make a choice. And that degree enables me to be qualified to earn a certain amount of money. I was offered a position that makes 10,000 more than the position that I accepted, but I accepted the position that I did because I felt like this was the best fit for me and it would be the most fulfilling position for me. I could literally see myself doing what I'm doing until my soul becomes ashes and I cease to exist. Like there's no higher honor than be a servant to the people. Like I'm definitely a servant um, in, in, in every regard and in every way with, with me having this degree, I feel as if it's enabled me to have opportunities that I, that I wouldn't be presented with. Never underestimate you, never underestimate you. I took that degree and showed all my homeboys and stuff. And they're looking at it. They never even seen a college degree before. Like um, they come over, they see my tassel, they see all those things. And as I said, it has inspired some of them to inquire about what it would take for them to get in college and what it would take for them to get education because they see someone that comes from the same environment as them. They see someone that has been through the same obstacles as them. There are some people out there who they see their parents go to college or they see their parents do this and they aspire to do those things. And I didn't have any blueprint or there wasn't a frame of reference. And I felt like in many ways, I've, I've built a blueprint and I've built a frame of reference that I could give to others that no matter what pain you're going through or what you're experiencing, if you, if you desire to have this, you can do it too. A huge thank you to Craig Toombs for sharing his story with us. I also want to thank our guests, Tony Carnavale, Aaron Thompson, and Cedric Dedman. You can learn more about our work and theirs at movedbydegrees.org. This is the final full episode in season one of Moved by Degrees. It was inspired by the journeys and the trials so many first-generation, economically vulnerable adults face when they choose to pursue a degree. I got to know Kim, Eva, and Craig individually. Following the interviews with them that are the basis for this season, we scheduled a hangout so they could meet one another. 
it feels right before we close out the season to share some of what I heard that day. Those neighbors that knew me when I was a little girl, they knew someday I would finish. And so uh, as I went on and um, put my first banner up and I thank my community, people were walking by literally with their kids saying, look at this house right here. Look what she's done. They knocked on my door uh, at later times and said, I went back and got my GED. You don't even know me, but I wanted to show you this piece of paper because I used to drive by here. And remember, I can do it too. I noticed the difference I have made letting parents know that how important education is. And it's just to get someone started in that family and it will make a big impact. And I think that's where we have to actually work in those areas because those people need it the most. I mean, if you go out there, whether they're African-American families, Hispanics, white families that are low income, you know, I don't see a lot of movement in those areas. Unless you're five, top 5% of the class or 10% of the class, then they talk to you about college. And I've seen it, and it doesn't matter whether you're poor, you don't have the means, you, you know, you're not from here, there is a way to go. I work in education, and I, I do uh, share my stories and experiences with the young people that I, that I do work with. And that's why I say I feel like in a lot of ways what I feel like I've done isn't, isn't that impressive because I know people who have gone through more and I feel like if, with, if presented with the opportunity could probably far surpass that of what I've accomplished. Um, and I feel like in many ways they deserve those opportunities. And I'm inspired by all of the young people that are that are going through things and they get up and, and still trek through and not just young people everybody in life inspires me because i know essentially everybody's fighting a battle that they that, that that the other person knows nothing of you know what i'm saying yeah it's nice to be able to share the graduate network exists to create pathways for all adults who desire to continue and complete their education we do this because we imagine a future where lives are transformed because, like Kim has shown us, banners celebrating success bring hope and healing to our most troubled communities. A future where, in our darkest times, we have someone with Eva's wisdom, shining heart, and brilliant smile to bring us comfort. A future where young people everywhere have doors open for them because someone like Craig is there to show them the way. We also believe in a future where we do not have critical shortages of teachers and nurses, for example, because some of the one in five adults in this country with some college who have not yet earned their degree have a path to complete their studies. This future is possible. I just want to put it out there. I'm very inspired by Kimberly and Craig. And it's, a, it's honestly a pleasure to meet you both. And I'm very proud of you, too. I am. I, I have the same sentiment. Um, I'm about to say, hold up now. You're pretty <laughs> impressive yourself, too. This would be Craig and Kimberly now. Hold up now, Eva. You're part of this train, too. Yes. <laughs> Thank you to Kimberly Sawyer, Eva Gamez, and Craig Toombs for letting me into their lives, trusting us to honor their stories, and for all they have done and continue to do to inspire us and those they touch to pursue our aspirations. This season's episodes and the report of the same name were made possible with the support of Ascendium Education Group. 
I also want to thank this season's guest contributors for being part of this podcast and especially for being fellow travelers in the journey toward educational equity and a more just society. Moved by Degrees is produced by me with my colleague Bridget Strickler, along with Pat Ganley and Michael Schweisheimer of PWP Video. They specialize in creating media with a mission. For more of their work, visit pwpvideo.com. Thank you for tuning in to the first season of Moved by Degrees, The Comebacker's Odyssey. Our closing theme song is by Be Still. If you have any thoughts regarding the show or you would like to share your own comeback story, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us through our website at movedbydegrees.org. Subscribe and be the first to know when season two is available. Until then, I'm Sally Glickman. Thank you for listening. Never underestimate you. Never underestimate you. 